Oh, come on, let's lift up our hands all across this building. You know how great he is. Let's love him in this building. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let's lift up his name right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, let's give him a great praise all across this building. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Sunday afternoon. Amen. At this time, we'd like to dismiss our Sunday school students to their classrooms along with their teachers. Amen. Everybody say, God bless our Sunday school kids. And everybody say, God bless our Sunday school teachers. Amen. And while they're being dismissed, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, shake their hand and tell them, I'm so glad to see you in church here today. It is so good to have all of our guests and our visitors in the house of the Lord. Let's give them a great big ARC welcome. Amen. Glad to see each and every one of our guests and visitors here today. If you have your Bibles, the book of Psalms, chapter 32, and beginning in verse number 1. Psalms, chapter 32, and verse number 1. Psalms 32 and 1. The word of the Lord declares, saw David writing, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. He writes this, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Very poetic the way he put that. He said, bless the man, blesses the man that's got his transgressions forgiven. But when I kept silent, my bones were raging. They were on fire, speaking of his soul. For day and night, Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Again, what poetry there. When I kept silent, it was as if I was in a desert in a time of drought. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Say law. And if you have your New Testament, if you can turn to the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It's all the way at the back of the Bible, right near the book of Jude and the book of Revelation. So if you need help finding it, just go towards the back, and it'll be right there. But they're going to pull it up on the screen. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You know, when we say we have no sin, the only person we're hurting is ourselves. We're not fooling God, we're only fooling ourselves. In fact, Romans puts it this way, Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned. That means you, that means me, from the preacher all the way uh, to the back of the seat, amen. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every one of us. He said, if we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's the beautiful part of this verse. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins 
and to cleanse us from all, everybody say all, all unrighteousness. And I just want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject, the power of confession. The power of confession. Would you set down your Bibles as we pray all across this building? Would you lift up your hands with your hearts? We're going to pray and believe that God is going to do something miraculous in this house. And I believe it's going to come through the power of confession. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would use my mouth as an instrument of grace and of mercy today. That, God, you would help us to hear your word and that it would lead us closer to the throne of grace that we may obtain that mercy. I'm praying today, God, that you would amen, remove every bit of condemnation that the devil would try to bring in. And I pray, God, that you would bring about a mighty revival through this. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. you. may be seated in the house of the Lord. The power of confession. In this psalm, David speaks of the great blessing that there is for the man or the woman that knows the forgiveness of God. The great blessing that comes upon the person that their sin is no longer exposed. Their sins have been covered by God. There are people all across this building that if you have had your sins covered and washed away by the blood of Jesus, I want to tell you, you are the most blessed individual in the entire world. Amen. Anybody feel blessed in the house of God? Amen. There is... A blessing that only comes from that covering and that forgiveness. David is writing this. He's the one that has had many opportunities to know this blessing personally. David is not writing this as a perfect man. Quite the contrary. Although David is a biblical hero, and even the Bible defines him as a man after God's own heart, he still had some significant seasons of sin. He still had moments of backsliding. He still had moments of great spiritual decline. He made gross errors and mistakes that would repulse, amen, just about every one of us here today. Most notably, and I love how the Bible doesn't shy away from people's failures. Most religious texts will lift up their prophets or make the people in their book look as if they've never done wrong. The Bible does the opposite. It has no problem telling us all of the areas in which each person messed up and each person sinned because the whole of Scripture is trying to point us to one truth, that we've all sinned, that everybody's made mistakes, and there's only one person in the entire Bible and entire human history that has lived a perfect and spotless life, and that is Jesus. Amen. And then we find David, most notably in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The Bible starts it off by saying, At the time when kings went forth to battle, David stayed home, and he sent other people to do the fighting for him. It was in this spiritual, in this season of spiritual vacation that David became restless. It is not part of my notes, but I want to tell you, whenever you step back from the spiritual battle, you are going to find yourself in a spiritual restlessness. Amen. Whenever we step into idleness, we will find ourselves in compromising positions. I want to tell you, you can take a vacation in life. You can take a vacation from your job. But you can't take a vacation from spiritual things. Amen. Because you are always in a spiritual battle, and I am always in a spiritual battle. It never stops. The devil never goes on vacation. He is always wandering about, seeking whom he may devour. So that's why the Bible tells us we've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be awake and watching. Amen. We can't take off, amen, and have a vacation from God. We can't take off and have a vacation from spiritual things. We can't sit back and recline and let other people do the spiritual fighting. Because in that moment when David said, I'm going to stop fulfilling my God-given purpose, it was in that season of his life that he went up on top of the roof and he saw a woman that was bathing. 
there is an implication here that this was not David's first time going up on the roof. It seems as if David knew where to go, and he knew when to go, and he knew exactly where to look and at what angle he should be sitting and watching. He knew that from this vantage point on my roof, I've got a perfect viewpoint of this bath, amen, this place where people wash. But I know that at this particular night, on this particular time, that there's this particular woman that's going to be there. This is the Old Testament typology of what is plaguing our world today, internet pornography. They didn't have cell phones and computers, but David, using all of the things he had at his disposal, his nice high castle and his nice vantage point, uh, David got up in the middle of the night and went right where he knew this woman would be, and he looked out over uh, upon this woman. And it was on this night that David let his flesh completely win, and he committed more than just mental perversion. He went out and he committed adultery with another man's wife. Can you believe that's in the Bible? That's in the Bible. Oh, man, we're in church today. Why are we talking about those kind of things? They'll put it in Hollywood movies, and we, people don't bat an eye. But it's in the Bible, and it's not in there to glorify the sin. It's in there to prove a greater point. Amen. It is not there to give license to these things. In fact, it's the opposite. The story continues that David tried everything in his own power to cover his sins up. Amen. When Bathsheba informed David that after the action that she was pregnant, he brings he goes as far as to bring her husband back from battle to try to get him to go to his wife so he can try to cover up the paternity record. Amen. This is some Jerry Springer stuff. <laughs> Amen. If you are saved, you don't know who that is. Praise God. Yeah, you are not the father. You know, he's trying to cover it up. He's trying to hide the fact that he is the father of this child. But when that doesn't work, he, he, just, he gets a plan going. He sends Uriah back to the battle with the very letter that was telling his commander to put him in the heat of battle, to put him in a place where he was guaranteed to die. This was, not, this was premeditated murder upon this man. When he could not cover up the adultery, we're talking about a man after God's own heart, amen, that committed adultery, tried to cover up the adultery, and now has conspired together and, it, and premeditated the murder of one of his best soldiers, one of his mighty men. This is in the Bible. And in this psalm, David is reflecting on this season of his life. And he is expressing his deep understanding of sin. Amen. He is expressing in the first two verses about sin. David uses three words to describe sin. He said, amen, first with the word transgression. Transgression is crossing the line. It is defying divine authority. The second word is falling short. Amen. This word sin means to fall short. It means to miss the mark. Amen. It can be too high. It can be too low. Regardless, you have missed the target. And then he uses the word iniquity, which means crookedness, distortion. It is, it is no longer the way it should be, but it's out of order. But David also expresses in this psalm his deep understanding of something called redemption. David uses three words to describe what God does to put away sin. He starts off with the idea of forgiveness, which is the lifting of a burden or a debt. He then uses the word covered or covering, which is, uh, amen, indicative of God's ability to, to, to cover and to take the sacrificial blood and to wash away all of the sins. And the third word and the third phrase he uses is he says, God, blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Uh, blessed is the man uh, who God does not impute uh, sin to. That word impute is like bookkeeping. Amen. It is keeping a record 
of wrongs or wrongdoing against that person. But he says God is not in the bookkeeping business. And God, when he forgives sin, he covers that sin. And God, when he removes that trespass, he also makes sure he removes the record of all of the trespass. Can I preach to somebody here today about the blessing of forgiveness that God is going to wash away all of your sins. He is going to remove all of the iniquity, but furthermore, he removes the record. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody ought to give him praise. I know you remember what you did, but God removes the record of what you did. I know you keep a tally of all your wrongs, but when God forgives, he erases. The New Testament says he blots it out with his own blood. If you're thankful for that, you ought to give him praise here today. If you're thankful that he washes all your sins away, you ought to give him praise. If you're thankful that he takes all the wrongdoings and he puts his blood over it to cover it, you ought to give him praise. The now forgiven David is using this psalm to recall his spiritual and mental state while he kept his sin hidden and while he was silent instead of confessing and repenting. I love how he started with, blessed are those that have their sins forgiven, their trespasses washed away, and, and all their iniquities, and God's not imputing uh, uh, unrighteousness to them. I love how he starts off with that, but then he goes in to talk about his mental state. Man, if you read your Bible, you will understand that for one full year, David swept his sin under the rug. For one full year, he acted as if nothing was wrong. For one full year, he acted as if he had never sinned. He had killed a man. He had committed adultery. He even married that woman to try to cover it up. And for one year, he acted as if everything was just okay. Amen. I would love to tell you that that's just biblical and that just Bible people do that. But I've been human long enough to tell you we all do that. You do that. I do that. It's called wearing a mask. It's called wearing a facade. We walk around like everything's okay, even though we know it's not. We try to live as if we've never messed up and never made a mistake, even though it's not true. We like to pull what John said. We like to say we have no sin, that we've done no wrong. But John said if we say that, we're only hurting ourselves. And if we say that, we're only Deceiving ourselves. David thought for one year, if I can hide it long enough, it'll go away. There are some people, they think if I will ignore it, it will disappear. That if I will just act as if it never happened, then maybe the reality will be that it never happened. But how many knows that's not true? You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't act like things have never happened. Uh, amen. You can't get things right if you act like things have never happened. Uh, he poetically wrote it this way. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old and they started groaning all day long. He said, day and night your hand was heavy upon me, speaking of God's hand. He said, your hand was resting on my shoulder, and it was pressing down on me, and I could feel the pressing, and it felt as if my bones were breaking under the weight of his hand. My vitality, my life was turned into the drought of summer in the middle of a desert. I couldn't find water even if I wanted to. Even think of the poetry. What's he saying? He starts off by saying, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. Blessed are the people whose trespasses and transgressions have been pushed away and washed away. But then he reminds us what happens when we don't confess, when we don't get things out into the open. He said, it's like my bones are under pressure and being broken. The stress of a double life and unconfessed sin made him feel old, oppressed, and dry. I want to tell you here today, don't live a double life. The only person you hurt with a double life is you. 
Don't live a double life. We've got to be careful in this social media generation where everything's got to filter and everything looks a certain way where people can appear one way online and be a totally different way in person. I want to tell you, people take that into their lives and they will act as if certain things are a certain way when in fact behind closed doors when nobody's looking, there is all sorts of things that they, they've got more skeletons in the closet than they know what to do with. If we're not careful, we will live a double life, and it will lead us to feeling heavy. It will lead us to feeling oppressed. It will lead us to feeling dry. There's some folks that your walk with God has gotten dry. Can I just give you the answer? Stop living a double life. I know this is a little intense here today and hopefully we'll get to some happy stuff here in a little bit but i just want to remind somebody some very real stuff about christianity amen christianity is exposing sin it is not hiding and covering sin it is not acting as if things never happened and things were never done it's about taking care of what was done it's about confessing what was done it's about making what was done right amen and and, and i know what it is we are we are so uh, we, we try to we try our best in our own human effort to to just uh, assuage our guilt by hiding things, but that doesn't help because then we realize we are the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. People's instability often comes from their double life. It's their one way at church, but they're one way at home. Amen. Well, I want my family to be blessed. Be one way here and be one way there. Even if you're struggling, amen, it's not a sin to struggle. Just keep getting better, but don't act like it's all together. Because if you tell yourself, I've got it all figured out, and you, you are deceiving yourself, and it's not helpful. Amen. He said, I felt the heavy hand of God's conviction upon me all year long. I want to just tell you about the hand of God. The Bible says the hand of the Lord is not short. It is able to reach down to where you are, and it can save you. And anybody that understands the hand of God through the Bible, they understand that's where God's power rested. He said, the Pharaoh won't let you go by an outstretched hand. He said, but I will, I will stretch for my almighty hand, and he will let you go. I want to tell you, when God's hand is on your side, if God be for you, no one can stand against you. There's nothing like having the hand of God helping you out, pushing you forward, taking your enemies out. You need the hand of God working in your life but that very hand that'll work for you when you hide it and to, to just try to cover things up on your own that heavy hand will rest upon you I want God's hand to rest upon my enemies I want his hand to just start crushing my enemies and putting the devil under my feet. I don't want to live my life in such a way where God's hand is resting upon me. And I feel like David did. I am like, I am like the middle of the desert in a drought. Amen. But let me preach to somebody about God's hand that rests upon you. God's hand will rest upon you. Amen. It rested upon David because God loved David. And God didn't want David to stay the way he was. Amen. And I want to preach to somebody. God would not allow David to remain comfortable in his habitual, unconfessed sin. And I've come to preach to you. God loves you and God loves me too much for, to let us live a double life. I'm going to pastor here for a little while. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. God loves you too much to leave you with sin in your life. God loves you too much to leave you in the condition that your sin has found you. In fact, this is what the first thing God ever does in the Bible. Amen. After creating the world, Adam and Eve sinned, and God shows up walking in the cool of the day, and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam pops up and says, I was hiding myself. Because that's what we do. When we mess up, we hide ourselves. We hide ourselves from the person we messed up, amen, against. We hide ourselves from the God that we messed up for, amen. We hide ourselves for all sorts of reasons. But God went looking for Adam and said, Adam, you can't hide yourself. Adam, I don't want you to hide yourself because if you hide yourself, we'll never deal with the sin in your life. And Adam, if, we, if you hide yourself, you'll die in your sin. But God came looking for him and God started working on him and God's hand rested upon him because God was not content leaving Adam the way he found him. I want to preach to somebody why you need the Holy Ghost. 
Amen. The Bible says in John 6 and 8, speaking of the Holy Ghost, that it will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I want to tell you, the hand of the Lord, amen, when you mess up, is not there to hurt you. It's there to help you. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And the Holy Ghost will be in you. Amen. And it will convict you when you are sinning. Amen. When you are doing wrong, it will convict you. And the Holy Ghost will convict you when you're not doing right. When there's something you should be doing. And the Holy Ghost will convict you on knowing what path to take and what's the right thing. We need the Holy Ghost directing us. It is a work of the Holy Ghost. God will convict us of sin in the hardest of our heart. God can fix us so that we will confess. Everybody say confess. Now I want to tell you what I'm not talking about. Amen. Church is scared to use the word confess. Amen. Because they think of the Catholic church and going and confessing to a priest. I want to tell you that's not in the Bible. Well, praise God. The Bible says that there is one, medi- one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Amen. You don't need to come and meet me in the back office and confess to me. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, that's not biblical. Amen. But what is biblical is you getting on your knees and calling out to God. A God that already knows where you were, knows who you were with, knows what you were doing. And a God that looks down and says, I want to forgive you and I want to love you, but only if you'll confess it. Can I preach to somebody? There's power in confession. There's power when you lift up your voice and you tell God, I know I've been living this way, and I know it's wrong, and I don't want to live this way any longer. David's first problem was when he committed the sin. But David's second problem is the double life he lived to try to hide his sin. Amen. It was only when David was ready to repent and to end, uh, to end in his sinning that the second problem was graciously forgiven. Amen. When David made up his mind, I'm going to confess, God said, I'm going to take care of the action. When David made up his mind, amen, I'm going to get this right, and I'm going to, t- I'm going to tell God, and I'm going to admit to it. Amen. Forgiveness was ready and waiting for David. Restoration was ready, but the confession of sins was the path to that forgiveness. The confession of sins was the pathway to his restoration. He was convicted, but he had not yet confessed. I'm going to preach to somebody, convictions of God. That's the hand of God resting upon you. That is God saying, you, you, you have sinned. Amen. I want to preach to somebody. It's God saying, you have done wrong. God is not overlooking wrongs. God is looking down from heaven and saying, you did sin. You did make wrong. But if you will confess it, we can take care of it. But if we're not careful, conviction without confession becomes condemnation. Hallelujah. Conviction without confession leads to restlessness in your soul. All year long, David felt convicted, but he didn't do anything about it. And you can feel convicted even while I preach this message about some things you need to get right. But if you don't confess those things to God, uh, amen, all it's going to do is open the door to the adversary. Uh, Can I preach to you about the devil for a moment? Uh, The devil doesn't want you to confess. Uh, Amen. I want to tell you why. The Bible tells us of our adversary, the devil, uh, that he is the accuser of the brethren and he accuses the people of God before God day and night. Can I preach to somebody here today that your adversary doesn't want you to confess because the only ammunition he has in your life are the unconfessed things. The only thing he can take before God are all the wrongdoings that you have not brought before God. I'm going to preach to somebody. The devil doesn't want you to confess because the moment you say, God, you're right, I lied, I I sinned, I made a mistake, the devil can't come behind and say, God, did you know that brother so-and-so is a liar? God will look back and say, he already told me. When you take your sins to God, you you take the only ammunition the devil ever has in your life. When you... When you tell God, I did it, I'm sorry, God, I want to make it right, you take the only weapon the devil has against you. You take his ability to condemn you. You take his ability to make you feel less than you are. You take his ability. I wish somebody would give God some praise here today. 
want to tell you, there's power in confession. When you, when you confess to God, you take the power from the adversary. Because the adversary is operating in the times that you and I are silent and not confessing. It is the time from the failure and the sin and the mistake to the time of confession. That's where he operates. He operates in this middle ground where you know you shouldn't have done it, where you know you shouldn't have been there, where you know it was wrong, and you don't confess it to God, and the devil stands right there, and he starts trying to tell you you'll never be anything. You made too many mistakes. You failed, and that condemnation will come over you, and it will tell you you might as well give up. You might as well quit. I want to tell you what conviction does. Conviction always leads you to Jesus, but condemnation will say you might as well stay home don't go to church don't talk to God about it don't pray about it it'll make you feel like you've messed up too much and like you're hopeless but when you confess and you tell God here's what I've done and it was wrong and I'm sorry you take that ammunition out of the devil and you get before God and all of a sudden those that were unclean are able to be made clean and those that have failed I've given an opportunity to get back up. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands. Come on, let's give God praise. I feel the power that's about to work in this house. It's the power of confession. I'm admitting it. I'm admitting it. I'm not hiding it. I'm admitting it. I'm not fighting it. I'm admitting it. it would... Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody lift up your hands. Come on, I come to preach to somebody. There's power when you confess. There's power when you confess. Not to a priest, not to a preacher. There's power when you confess to God. And you go to your mediator. You go to Jesus. And you say, I messed up. Now, God, will you forgive me? There's a blessing called forgiveness that will come upon you. If you confess, the accuser has nothing to say. You know, the, uh, you, got, you go to court. Some of y'all have been to court, praise God. B.C., amen. Some of you right now, who knows? Praise God, but you know you go to court. How do you plead? Not guilty. We're going to trial. We're about to find out all the evidence against you and all the things you've done wrong. But there's some you can make a plea bargain. I plead guilty. <laughs> I admit I did it. And there are some cases where the judge, uh, when they look at your plea and how you plea, uh, when it comes time for sentencing, they look at how you plea on how they're going to judge you. Uh, and there's something about going before the judge before the, before the prosecuting attorney can even get to you and saying, I just want to let it be known before this trial ever starts. Uh, I'm guilty of all charges, uh, but I'd like the court to be lenient upon me. Uh, I want to tell you, there is when you show up before it uh, and you say, you know what, uh, I made a mistake, I messed up. But can I just point you to something that was promised to me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? That if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of all of my sins. I don't know what else to plead. I plead guilty and I plead the blood. You're right, I did it. I plead guilty, but I also plead the blood of Jesus that cleanses, that washes, that heals, that restores. Somebody ought to clap your hands. I plead the blood over my life. I plead. Somebody ought to give him praise. You ought to look all the hell in the face and tell him you're right. I confess. I did it. But I also plead the blood. I ought. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give him a shout of praise. If you will confess, you take the adversary's only weapon. The evidence against you. When you show up and say, no need for evidence, I'm guilty. You stop the trial right there. The only leverage the devil has in your life is shame. He wants you to stew in your shame. Amen. But if you will confess to Jesus who is the righteous judge, amen, I want to tell you, you remove the leverage 
from the enemy because the devil would rather have you suffering in silent shame but confession under confession undermines the devil's attacks by acknowledging one's sin by seeking forgiveness of that sin and relying on God's grace for my sin it removes the ambiguity of Satan's exploits can I preach to somebody the devil likes to work in the dark he likes to work in that dark place and in those obscure places uh, where you are you are just kind of in between. Uh, you haven't confessed, but you made a mistake. Uh, amen. He works in the unspoken areas, the unconfessed areas. Can I preach to somebody even beyond just sin and salvation? Uh, I want to tell you the devil operates uh, in these unexpressed doubts. The unconfessed doubts, the unconfessed fears, the unconfessed disappointments, the unconfessed disagreements. The devil works in obscurity. I want to tell somebody, people don't backslide because of doubts. They backslide because they live too long in the gray area of unconfessed doubts. I'm going to preach it till it gets in your bones. There's power in confession because the devil will get you to walk out on God and walk out on, on, on all your beliefs and walk out on all your convictions because you lived too long in this gray area where you had unconfessed doubts. But can I preach to somebody? God has no problem with confession, whether it's a confession of sin, whether it's a confession of doubt, whether it's a confession of fear, whether it's a confession of disappointment, whether it's confession of disagreement hallelujah I know that just struck somebody's religious brain in the wrong chord but can I preach to you God is not afraid of you confessing your fears and confessing your doubts I'll preach it to somebody Job Job was told in Job 40, 42 and 8 that God rebuked his friends and said you did not speak to me and confess to me what was right but my servant Job did but when you read the book of Job, you find over and over again, it seems like Job is lamenting. Job is complaining. Job is questioning. But what made Job right in that situation? It was the fact that he confessed his doubts, his laments, his frailties. Job confessed them not to his friends, not to his spouse. He confessed those to God. I want to preach to somebody, God's not afraid of your confession. God's not afraid to when you go to him as the man did in Mark chapter 9. I believe, but I'm going to confess something to you, Jesus. Help thou my unbelief. I believe, and I'd love to tell you I'm a perfect Christian, but I confess I'm not. I'd love to tell you I'm full of faith, but the truth is I confess I'm full of fear. Can I preach to somebody, God's not afraid of your confession. God empowers people with a confession. Even when you express and confess to God your disappointments. John chapter 11. They said Jesus if you'd only been here he'd have never died. You know what that takes a lot of guts. Some of it, how you doing brother? Oh I'm great. I praise the Lord. Life's awesome. And Jesus said where have you laid him? What was he asking for? A confession. I know you're disappointed in me. I know you wish I'd have showed up a little sooner. I know you wish things would work out a little differently. Amen. But can you confess to me where you have laid all those things? Can I preach to somebody here today? God is not afraid of that. In fact, he's looking for your honesty. God's looking for your honesty when it comes to your sins. God's looking for your honesty when it comes to your doubts. God's looking for your honesty when it comes to your fears. What's he looking for? He's looking for a confession. And when you bring that confession before the Lord, I want to tell you, it's in those moments God will heal you. It's in those moments God will deliver you. It's in those moments that God will set you free. In fact, let me just preach this. It's, it's part of this. You know, we often talk about healing. You know, there's some people in the building. I believe before this service is done, you could be healed. I, I mean it. Really healed. Really healed. Biblically healed. Physically healed. Mentally healed. I believe before this time is out, you can have some healings in relationship. You can have a healing in your mind. You can have a healing in your heart. Can I give you a Bible for it? James 5 and 16, we love to quote the last part, but James 5 and 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. 
the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We love that, that last part, but can I tell you, before you get to the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, you got to start with some confession. Could it be there's some folks that are struggling physically because they're struggling with some confessions they haven't made? Are there some marriages that might be struggling uh, in the marital side because there's some confessions that haven't been made? But if you will just set it up uh, and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to confess not just to God, but there's times where the only way you restore a relationship is when you confess one to another and you say, I'm done uh, dealing with this constant fight. Uh, let's talk it out. Uh, let's work it out. Uh, I want to get out of the gray area. Oh, I hit something right there. I hit something right there. Amen. Could it be? See, you don't want to tie your physical thing to something spiritual. But can I preach to somebody? It might very well be. you got to get some things out from under the rug and some skeletons out from out of the closet. And you need to say, you know what? I messed up, but I want forgiveness. I messed up, but I want healing. But let me help somebody that's saying, well, preacher, I can't, I can't confess. I've made too many mistakes. And I'll tell you what the burden is on the other person. And pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to tell you, when somebody brings something to you, it's not an opportunity to tear them down. I want to tell you what it is. It's an opportunity for you to pray for healing. Amen. When somebody says, you know what, I'm tired of hiding it, or you can live the rest of your life, amen, with this thing under the rug and under, amen, in the closet, and you can act as if nothing's happening. And I know there's some people like to put on a facade. Amen. Preacher, everything's great. When the truth is, things aren't great. But if you will just work it out one to another and pray one for another, I want to tell you what will happen. There will be healing. Oh, lift up your hands. Come on, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. There's power in confession. There's healing power in confession. There's delivering power in confession. I want to tell you, not just you can confess of your sins and he will forgive you. There's forgiveness when you confess. But I want to tell you, there's also healing. Healing when you confess. Real deep. This is, where, this is where church gets real. I like what somebody said. Life is too difficult for having shallow church. I want to tell you, there's too much hurt in this world for you to have shallow church. To not talk about real things. You know, there's people, their whole marriage is just sweeping stuff under the rug. And then just putting on a facade that everything's good. You know, there, there has to be some moments where you have some hard conversations. I don't like that. Amen. Praise God. So say, no, everything's perfect. We're just great. No, that's not true. You know what? If you would confess it and get it before one another, you could actually heal some things. I want to tell you, that's what God wants to do. In the church, well, I, I just love everybody. That's not true. <laughs> but you can love everybody. But you got to talk it out. You know, brother, you keep offending me. I'm tired of that. Amen. The Bible says that you got you to start setting some boundaries. Amen. And you got to go to your brother that has offended you and let him know. But when you start confessing those things, I want to tell you what will happen. There will be a healing that will happen in that relationship. There will be deliverance that will happen in that relationship. Can I preach to somebody? Every real, deep, genuine, amen, revival has come. Amen. It has started and it has been fueled. Amen. By genuine confession of sin. Amen. I want to tell you, we, even when you look in the Bible, actually, 19 and 18 and many that believed came and confessed showing their deeds many of them also bringing their curious arts brought their books together they were not trying to hide it in their house amen and act like it was never there but they brought everything before amen and they laid it into the fire and they burned it what does that look like in a modern culture and in a modern church it's I'm done hiding it I'm done acting like it's not real and it's not there here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to tell God exactly what it is. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm going to tell God exactly where I was, who I was with. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to confess it, but I'm not going to take it home with me. I'm going to lay it down on the altar. And when you confess, there's revival coming to your life. And when you confess, I want to preach to somebody, when you confess your sins, there's forgiveness coming into your life. When you confess your faults, there's healing coming into your life. When you confess that I've made mistakes and I've done wrong, it's not to tear yourself down. Brother, it's to get yourself in the right position to be lifted up.
Would you stand all across the building as we pray all across this house? Come on, confession is one of your greatest weapons. Amen. When you confess all of your mistakes and all of your failures, I want to tell you there is a forgiveness that will come upon you. When you confess your wrongdoings, uh, amen, even if it's one so, to somebody else, I want to tell you what it will do. It will heal your relationship. Uh, amen. But there's power in confession. Confession means fighting the sinful nature in ourselves. We start trying to hide it. Amen. Because sin thinks it can be hidden, but it can't. You know what? David put it best. When I kept it hidden, I felt dry. I felt burdened. I want to tell you, I've been there. I, I will confess to the church people. I have been there. Can I confess? Hallelujah. There's some old, older brethren in the house. You used to have confession services at church. Some of y'all remember that. They might have got a little dicey, but we, we ain't going to do that today. Praise God. Unless God directs us. But, but you know, there is something about... You know, finally getting off. You know, there's somebody coming to church today, and they've, they've thought everybody thinks they're perfect, but they know they're not. You know, if you would just be honest, I'm not saying you got to go out and tell everybody everything you've done wrong, but if you got a friend in the church, you say, you know, hey, brother, I'm really messed up, and I'm really struggling with some stuff. I want to tell you what happened to lift the burden off of you. The burden to act perfect. The burden to think, to act like you got it all together, when the truth is you don't. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I had a best friend in the church. That's exactly what I did. I told him, hey, brother, I'm messing up in this area. Will you pray with me? I want to tell you what it did. Immediately lift the burden off my spirit. Because I was no longer trying to show up to church and, oh, praise God. Everything's great. I'm just going to praise through it. Fake it till I make it. No. Confess it so you can make it. But we are so scared of confession. Because confession means I have to admit. Hmm. Hey, hallelujah. Some people can't smell, spell the word admit. <laughs> There's something about having to admit. You know, they say uh, the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. I want to tell you the first step of your salvation is confession. That's what Romans 10 is actually talking about. It's not saying say a sinner's prayer. That's not in the Bible. It's saying if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart for with confession Amen. I want to tell you, Romans 10 is talking all about making a confession that leads to a place of repentance. Confession is the first step. It is saying, God, I agree with what your word says, and I agree with what my actions were, and I am now about to step from confession to repentance. Repentance is now, God, I don't want to be like that. I want to change from that. God, will you heal me from that? Will you deliver me from that? And we've got a promise in the book. That if you'll confess it, he will forgive it. But you know, you look in your Bible, you'll find two people that Jesus had as disciples. You'll find Judas and you will find Peter. And both of them failed God. One betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the other one denied he even knew Jesus. Both messed up. But here's the difference. Judas, even when he went to sell Jesus out, the disciples, he had put such a good mask on, they thought surely he's going to do something nice for the poor. He looked so good and so religious, but he was living a double life. And he was not willing to get it really taken care of that the Bible ends up saying he ended up going out and hanging himself because he wouldn't confess. But yet you find Peter who messed up, and when Jesus meets him on the seashore, he went back to his boat, back to fishing, back to his old life. When Jesus showed up, he met Jesus on the shore. And it was in that moment that Jesus started asking him a couple questions. Peter denied him, the Bible says, three times. And question after question, Jesus asked him three questions. Peter, do you love me? See, people have got all sorts of opinions. I want to tell you what it was. God was giving him an opportunity to have a confession. Do you love me? Peter said, yes. Yes, Lord, I love you. Did he ask Peter, have you been perfect? Of course not. Peter couldn't confess to that. He was asking Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. He asked him again the second time, Peter, do you love me? Why are you doing this to me, Jesus? Because there's power in confession. Yes, Jesus. I love you. 
than feed my sheep. He asked him again a third time, and the Bible says it grieved Peter at his heart. He felt the conviction fully blown over him. Peter, do you love me? And he said the third time, he said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said again, feed my sheep. And from that point forward, his name is no longer called Simon, but his name is called Peter. He never goes back to the old man. I want to tell you what happens when you just get it before God and you lay it all out there. Amen. God, here's my failures. Here's my mistakes. And God, also, I want to let you know, even though I failed you, I still love you. Even though I made a mistake, I still love you. I want to tell you, there's a conversion that happens. And Jesus told him, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And because, G because Peter was willing to confess to Jesus where he was really at, he ended up becoming a preacher. I want to tell you, if you, if you will hide and hold on and conceal and act like everything's perfect, that's, that's what Judas did, and it didn't end well for him. But there's Peter who messed up time and time again, and yet because he was willing to come and confess it to God, I want to tell you, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you lift up your hands all across this building? I want to tell you, there's power when you confess. Jesus, I've not been living right. Come on, somebody needs to pray. Don't worry about what your neighbor thinks. You're not praying to them anyways. In fact, I'd like everybody to come down to the altar. I won't embarrass anybody for anything in the world. We're not going to pass the mic around. But I want you to just kind of find a place somewhere. You can stand up here in the front, just between you and God. And I want you to have a moment like Peter had with Jesus, where you say, Lord, Peter, I know you denied me three times. Yes, Lord, I denied you three times. Peter, I know you messed up. Yes, Lord, I messed up. Peter, I know. See, I want to tell you, you're not hiding it from God. He already knows. But there's a burden lifted off your heart when you say, God, I have sinned, and I have messed up, and I have made mistakes. I want to tell you, there's, there's power when you can tell God, I have lost faith at times. I have doubted. I have been disappointed. There's power when you confess to God. There is a burden that's lifted off of your soul when you confess that before God. I want to tell you what's going to happen. There's healing about to sweep through this building. There's forgiveness about to sweep through this building. Would you lift up your hands right now and begin to pray with me? Come on. Come on, take your mask off before God. Take the facade off that you might show to everybody else and say, God, I am in need. I am in desperate need of healing. I am in desperate need of forgiveness. I am in desperate need of, of restoration. God, I am tired of going home and going back when no one else is watching and living this way when I know it's not right. Come on, David's in the house. There's some Davids in the building. You're done feeling that hand of conviction. I want to tell you how you, how you move the hand. You just confess. But when you confess, he says, I'm going to forgive come on he's forgiven he's forgiving right now come on maybe it might be as simple as saying God I lied God I cheated I've stolen come on maybe you've been saved a while and you don't do all those things anymore maybe it's God you know I haven't prayed in a while God I've not read the Bible in a while God, I've been skipping church with all sorts of excuses that aren't even valid. God, forgive me. I want to tell you, when you confess those things, there's healing. There's healing. anybody else. This is between you and Jesus. This is between you and Jesus. There's one mediator. His name is Jesus. Jesus, I have gone the wrong direction. Jesus, I have lived the wrong way. Jesus, I have done wrong. And I apologize. I confess it. Would you wash me? Would you heal me?
said confession is removing the devil's ammunition. God, I admit to it. Now heal it. I admit to it. Now cleanse it. I admit to it. Now will you please forgive me of it? Will you wash me of it? Come on. It might be something like David struggled with. Maybe it's getting on the internet late at night. Just put it before God. Say, God, will you forgive me? Will you wash me of that, God? God, help me to remove this mask. Help me to remove this facade and get it right, God. Somebody pray. I was Adam, where are you? Come on, Adam came out of the shadows. He came out of the hiding. He came to confess. I hid because I was afraid. Where have you been? I was afraid. I want to tell you there's forgiveness when you'll confess. You held me in your side. So you made a Come on, I feel the blood flowing through this building. I feel the blood of Jesus covering people right now, forgiving people right now, removing the record of wrongdoing right now. Let's pray. His blood will wash us, cleanse us from all Took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. Now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood.
Come on, let's pray all across the building. Would you lift up your hands? Come on, I know what it is to come to church with a mask on.